Hello and thanks for the pleasure of your company and many thanks for tuning in to your regular Bible teaching program called Search for Truth. So you join us now for the first talk in a brand new series on lessons from the book of James and Brian, our Bible teacher, will be reading quite a few verses from the book of James so have your Bible to hand so you can follow the reading if you want to. It's a six-week series and there'll be the usual free transcript booklet of all the talks and I'll be telling you how to get one at the end of this programme. Uh, so then you could follow the programmes as we go along. So now let's get ready and listen to Brian. Thanks, John. It's a right straw epistle. That was what Martin Luther said of the letter by James located near to the end of our Bibles. It seems he felt disappointed that it didn't contain any exalted description of Christ, nor did it contain anything of the work of the Spirit, and didn't even work hard to defend the faith. We usually take it to have been written by James, the Lord's half-brother. He came late to faith, his conversion wasn't until after the Lord's resurrection. Despite that, and to some extent influenced perhaps by his family association to Christ, James appears to have been highly respected by the community of faith at Jerusalem. Famously, he chaired the Jerusalem Council that's recorded in Acts chapter 15. It's true James doesn't deal with the glories of Christ in his church or with the great Christian blessings, nor does he transport us to the world to come. James seems to be at home in more mundane matters. He doesn't write in great soaring passages, nor are there many strongly motivating exhortations. But the value of his contribution, under God, is in forcing us to face up squarely to practical realities and their ethical implications. Let's take it a chapter at a time. And so we'll begin today with the first chapter, which is almost, if not entirely, devoted to how we should cope with a major difficulty in Christian experience, that of facing up to trials and troubles. We would be so much poorer without this introductory chapter of James. Repeatedly, throughout his letter, James uses the expression, my brothers. He's not speaking down to his audience from a great height, but he's drawing alongside to give compassionate counsel, counsel we can be so grateful for. Let's hear it again. James 1 verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. With these opening remarks, James sets the scene. He wanted to speak to his audience then, and to us today, about adversity in testing, the kind of testing we routinely face in the varied trials of Christian life. He continues, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is not asking his listeners to pretend that times of testing trials are happy occasions. That would be to part company with reality. No, rather he calls on us to rejoice in the assurance that God can still work to our advantage in testing. James describes the advantage to be gained through such an experience as the steadfastness it can produce in us, which in turn develops maturity. This may not at first be uppermost in our minds, so James says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, if we can't see the underlying advantage in testing, then God's assistance in testing is something we can call on. We can at any time during it, that's during the trial, ask God for the wisdom which will enable us to have this bigger perspective of God's purpose in our life, even through such a dark experience as this current trial. We are to pray, James says, for wise insight, but without swinging between faith and doubt. In what follows, it appears James is thinking about two alternative circumstances in which we might find ourselves being tested. I'm referring to when he says, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. So the alternatives in testing are poverty and riches. The book of Proverbs tells us that the poor man may be tempted to steal, while the rich man may be tempted to become arrogant. The way of escape for the poor brother is to glory in his exaltation, and for the rich brother it's to glory in his humiliation. God's grace in Christ, received by faith, is the greatest leveller. But now what does James say? Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James' latest comment here is about assessment in testing. Whenever we pass through the experience of being put to the test in life circumstances, God is assessing how we react. He is positively looking for the quality of steadfastness on our part, which he will crown with his seal of approval. The stress of testing, can become a rewarding experience in the longer term. But James warns against our becoming frustrated. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. What appeals to me here is the antithesis of testing. Let me explain. We earlier heard James talk about one side of the contrast. This is when we react well by God's help to the testing, and we allow ourselves to become steadfast and mature. By contrast... Spurning God's help, we can be enticed and our active service is extinguished for God. What a contrast! James clarifies here that while God may permit the challenging circumstances, he will never entice us to a wrong response. That will come from within ourselves, stemming from our fallen human nature. James adds here the clear statement that God himself cannot be corrupted or enticed, although his people at times foolishly did put him to the test. Yet he remains the source of all that is good. As James goes on to say, 
In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I think these verses present to us what should be our ambition in testing. God designs them to demonstrate our quality and so to put his grace on display. God wishes to bring out the best in us. In all of this section, there's been but one word for testing. Different Bible translations will translate it variously as temptation or trial. Generally, temptation suggests negativity, while trial can be more positively linked with a process of refinement or a show of genuineness. Wasn't it concerning Joseph that we read of how the word of God tried him? Job was another who said that after God had tried him, he would emerge as gold. Satan, however, is described in the Bible as the tempter because he has no other agenda other than to use life's challenges to bring us down and to bring out the worst in us. God looks for the best, Satan looks for the worst. As we receive the word, some relevant verse of God's word, and receive it with the right attitude, then we'll be able to experience deliverance in the test. But prove yourselves doers of the word, James goes on to say, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless." Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is how James concludes his really helpful extended analysis on testing which occupies all of his first chapter. We were thinking of how God's word comes to us to strengthen us in our difficulty. But will we hear it and forget or listen carefully and do James' illustration of the man in the mirror is memorable. God's word reflects back to us the true state of our heart. Looking intently into the mirror of God's word will enable us to have the ascendancy in testing. Joseph and Job, as we've thought about already, gained the high ground on the far side of some tough testing. Religion that's tested and true, James says, is about controlled speech helping others and practising holiness. Life's most testing experiences will not have the power to topple us when, having asked in prayer for God's wisdom, we then look to our Bibles to find focus and strength.
Thanks, Brian, for giving us valuable teaching from James. We look forward to hearing more in the weeks to come. Now, if anyone has any comments or questions about what we've heard, Brian would be pleased to help. Just write in by post or, or even email. I said earlier on that if you'd like to send for the booklet, it's a transcript of this whole series of talks, and then it's available free of charge. And you can have more than one copy, uh, especially if you're going to use them for group study or to pass on to a friend. But just make sure to let us have your postal address, of course, and ask for the title Lessons from James. There are also back issues of other titles which you might like to download via the internet or order through Amazon. And I'll tell you how to do this in a moment. But first, here's our postal and then our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now, here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, as I've said, you can also download MP3 versions of some past programmes. Um, on your computer, you go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Uh, this is our church website where you can also uh, access uh, other helpful material. And uh, some more past titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk uh, forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programmes is available. So it's been a great privilege to have your company today and I hope you enjoyed the programme. Next week, God willing, Brian brings us another study from the letter of James, chapter 2 this time, so don't forget to tune in again, same time, same place. We look forward to seeing you, but until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye, and may God, as always, richly bless you. Yeah.